Adam, man, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, it's a pleasure. I think you're the first person from Newton Arts that I've met who's a salsa dancer. <laughs> yeah, there's like one sign on the roundabout in Don that says salsa classes, and it looks like it's just been teleported there from another world. That's all you can get really around there. How did you get into that? That's a good question. So I decided in my last year of uni, all right, I'm going to stop playing games. Uh, when I graduate, I'm going to commit myself to a hobby. No, you say games, like video games? Yeah, or, video okay. games. Cause what, what was your, your drug of choice? Uh, FIFA. Yeah, was, FIFA, yeah, man. FIFA. Unreal. But actually, that's how I got into business. So that worked out well. Because I, I started trading virtual cards on FIFA Yo. when I was like 15. And s- sold them in school. Unbelievable. A few hundred pounds. So that was what got me into kind of entrepreneurship. That was so. your entrepreneurial gateway? Uh, yeah, that was just how it happened unreal so. my entrepreneurial gateway was actually creating runescape accounts i don't know if you remember a game called uh, runescape and then selling them on the black market for like real real life it's money probably big money <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was big money back then <laughs> yeah i mean i think there's so many opportunities whenever you're like early teenager they just start cropping up because a lot of these games now they do make most of the revenue from virtual trading yeah so you can get into it and I've I made a little bit more than selling sweets in school. So. Unreal. So, I mean, f- the jump from FIFA to salsa, I interrupted you, sorry. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so I, I started learning Spanish because I had been over in America the year before working at a summer camp for homeless kids. And there I met a lot of people from Mexico, uh, Colombia, and just got interested in their culture and decided, right, I'm going to start learning salsa dancing. Mm. And, uh, France, Spanish, essentially. So the two kind of melded together um because i wanted to understand what are the words in the salsa songs actually meaning like because what am i going to be dancing to sure it turns out a lot of them are about um cheating divorce (laughs) heartbreak people dying so that was maybe not the best idea because once you know the words you start like listening to them when you're you're like why am i dancing to this like kind of and she left me it's like shaking my hips to laugh but it's fun it's it's worked out well it's so funny, I have a mate, Nathan, and he um, is just about to marry a woman from Spain. And it's so funny, like, all, like, the bachata, like, the kind of real heavy, groovy, mm. like, Spanish songs. Like, these are so good. And then, like, his fiance would be like, do you know what that actually means? And I'm like, no, please don't tell me, because I just want to ignorantly dance to this. Yeah, I I get that. I think Despacito was popular <laughs> for a while, and people are, like, it, it's, ignorance is bliss. If you don't know what you're dancing to, then, I mean, you don't. You can get more in the moment. 100%. But it's the same over, like, in Mexico, for example. A lot of songs in English would be playing in the shop. And they've got a lot of explicitives and, like, the F words in them quite a lot. But people don't really know what's going on. So sure. it's kind of there as background noise. So you go to America and you meet all these people from around the world, Mexico included. Like, is there a romantic involvement here that, that uh, leads you into <laughs> salsa? or No, not really. Like, with the music, yeah. It really, the music got me into it. What was um, it about the music drew you in? Um, it's just, maybe it's because it's different. Hmm. Like, it sounds happy, and it's got kind of a rhythm to it. And I remember watching people dancing that and just thought, I want to do that. Hmm. You know, if you watch two people that are really good at dancing, for me, m- most genres of dance, I'm like, I'm learning that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of that caught my eye, and I thought, I want to be that person who's <laughs> dancing like that. This episode is part of our ongoing series with NI Connections, where we interview an interesting person from Northern Ireland who's living 
and slash or working overseas. Now, who are NI Connections? They are the diaspora department of Invest NI, and their mission is really, really simple. It's to connect the Northern Irish community all around the world. They put together some really incredible resources, including how to move you and your family back home if you haven't lived overseas, how to move to Northern Ireland for the first time, and even how to move your business or open up a new branch in this wonderful place that we call home. You'll also can find hundreds of interviews and profiles with fascinating people who are proud to call this place home. And you can check out all of these things and sign up for their free email newsletter at niconnections.com. Thanks very much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. We really love talking to people from Northern Ireland who have gone down a different path and who do things differently. And I think salsa dancing is one of those things that if you're from Northern Ireland, you can't possibly imagine doing because we're quite awkward as a culture. Like unless it's in a dark room and there's like, you know, alcohol and uh, loud music and, and bright lights involved, people will rarely, rarely dance. Like we were chatting the other day, like the only time that you ever see like dads dancing is usually at weddings. Whereas mm. Spanish culture is very, very different. You're also very different because you are your own business owner. You have this fully uh, international remote business, which is incredible. We used the term digital nomad earlier, which is uh, really, really interesting. You are in the nurse recruitment space mm. and you've done all these amazing things. So walk us from leaving university to starting your business. What's that all about? Okay. So when I left university, I decided before I settle down and lead my life, I want to have a bit of fun. I want to adventure and explore the world and kind of break out of the the box I've been in mm-hmm. and learn new things and travel the world essentially. So the youthful desire to go forth and conquer and uh, have an adventure. So at that point, I decided to start my own business because you need money to do it. I didn't have a trust fund or a massive bank account or parents really saying, here's 10,000 pounds to travel the world. You needed income to do it. So I have a few nurses in my family, my cousin, my auntie, and kind of been around them all my life and have heard what it's like being a nurse. And it's tough. And there's a lot of requirement to get more nurses actually in the profession and then working in hospitals. So to fund my traveling, I started a wee marketing business. And that eventually kind of molded and progressed into something that was marketing jobs for nurses after learning what my what my family had kind of seen in their experiences and seeing the opportunity that was out there in the world to actually improve that industry so about this was about 2019 just before the pandemic i created a linkedin profile a website all kind of minimal investment and then started trying to get clients interested in my nurse recruitment services a couple of months later i got a couple of clients that were so excited <laughs> And then COVID happened, they shut down. I thought that was the end of the business. Turns out it wasn't, it was like the opposite. (laughs) It was like rocket fuel. And after going on a podcast, actually, I attracted a hospital in Toronto to work with us. And from there, we just got results, used the case study, proved the results, and then got more clients. So see, in terms of like upfront cost, Mm -hmm. for you to get your first few clients. Yeah. What are we talking about here? Because I know a lot of people who listen to podcasts 
they're like, oh, that's amazing, that entrepreneurial journey, that's class. But like, I could never do that. Or like, I need X or I need Y. You know, there's all these excuses, all these reasons why someone can't go and make something. Mm. But I'd love for you to kind of break down, like, what did it actually take to get those two cli- those first few clients? You said LinkedIn and a website. Yeah. Tell me more. So the main cost would be blood, sweat and tears <laughs> and a little bit of confidence, I think. So... The, the pre-history of this is I was trying to get clients for about a year and a half and running into problems. I mean, my first few clients were Chinese online English teaching companies. And then the government in Beijing closed that whole industry down. So I had to keep pivoting and changing. And just uh, there's many times where I could have given up and I was quite upset and tearful, to be honest. Like I was wasting my life. But in the end, I just I'd keep going. So the main thing was not giving up, really, Mm -hmm. and having good people around me. Uh, A couple of years after I left uni, I got into an accelerator in the Ulster Bank, and I met uh, a lady called Trisha McNeely, who I'm going to meet later today, and she actually paid for me to go to my first conference, just out of her pocket. This is a conference in America. Wow. And meeting people like that who support you and believe in you is so important to getting things off the ground. When it comes to the the cost of the business, at the start, it was really minimal. That's one of the attractions of doing an agency-style online business. You don't have to pay for an office. You can use the laptop that you watch YouTube on. and (laughs) You don't have to even spend money on a lot of subscriptions or advertising. If you can bring something new to a market that needs it, especially over in America, then they'll happily say... Let's try it out. Mm-hmm. So I think having that confidence to go out with new ideas and then put them in front of people is is what kicked things off and it doesn't actually require a lot of money to get started. Yeah. And I mean, now you've, through your company, have hired 10,000 nurses. Like 10,000 placements mm-hmm. later. It's pretty insane. I know. It's, um, it's. I don't know. I, looking back on it, it all makes sense. When, when, you, when you see every step, in my mind, I see my history kind of lined up. Like what I did yesterday makes sense because of the day before. Mm-hmm. If I had been taken back like four years, then where I am now, I would be so surprised and shocked. But it's life's made up of every every single day. You know, the sun rises, the sun sets. So if you look back on it, what you did each day is going to, incrementally create who you are today yeah so i mean let's talk a wee bit about the problem that your business solves because obviously all great businesses Mm -hmm. they solve some sort of a problem and the healthcare space especially over the last few years even without covid yeah i was obviously undergoing a lot of challenges so how do you step in and and kind of be the hero and who are you a hero to so a, a current model is about helping hospitals and other healthcare providers hire and retain staff. And the issue is that internally, they struggle with their marketing, branding, and selling to candidates. So they know that they're a hospital and they provide healthcare services, but they don't know how to communicate that to people that would want to work there. So we're all about kind of improving standards and how hospitals can communicate who they are to nurses and then communicate what nurses are actually going to get from working there. So we help them find nurses. We help them 
tell them who they are and we help them with their actual recruiting process of phone calling and interviewing and hiring. The broader thing here is if nurses work somewhere that's a good match for them, they're more likely to stay in the profession and be happier and encourage others to get into the profession. And that's really what is needed because of the shortage of nurses that we have across the world. We need to have better matches between employees and employers, um, kind of a better credibility of the, the nursing profession as a whole. Mm. That's one of the problems with the NHS. There's not, um, there's not a lot of options for a nurse who's unhappy that she can jump to within the NHS. That is different. Um, in America, one of the benefits of the private system, which has its flaws definitely, is it's like a patchwork of different options, different benefits, different salaries, uh, different cultures that a nurse unhappy in one place can go over to to, to get a better career. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we're experiencing such shortage in the nurse industry, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Well, I think pay is definitely a big one. Um, that comes down to how health systems are funded. Now, pay in America would be over double here for a, a new graduate than it is here. So it's n- over there they have the problem as well. It's not It's not only that. The, there's a supply side issue of the number of educators. I'm talking about over there in particular. The number of educators and funding going into universities, uh, classroom resources, doesn't meet the demand of people that want to learn to be a nurse. Mm. So there's probably only a 50% acceptance rate in the nursing colleges in America. And that's because they just do not pay enough to the lecturers, the the educators, for enough people to want to do it. So it's not that people don't want to be nurses. It's really the money that's going into various parts of the system. Really interesting. So it's like a supply chain issue almost, if you think about education as a supply chain. Yeah. Mad. Yeah. So I think... There needs to be a kind of smarter direction of funding. Here, a, a lot of money would go to agency nurses, for example. Mm-hmm. And those universities aren't really seeing any of that money because it's a separate system. And the government really has to fund more places in nursing colleges and open new ones so that more people that want to be nurses can get into them. Mm-hmm. How does your business make money? Like, do people pay you like a monthly retainer for marketing services? Do they pay you per nurse that's placed? Like, what way is your mm. business kind of set up? Yeah, we get a monthly retainer, yep. which is probably about 70% of the revenue, and then 30% would be whenever we hire a nurse. Nice. So we're look- this year we're looking to diver- diversify into software as a service as well and kind of create new platforms so we can bring a little bit of value to the nurses beyond pushing them jobs. Mm-hmm. So we're looking to create a few kind of communities, uh, new ideas, uh, platforms this year so that it's a more kind of broader model where we get revenue from many different sources. See all these words you're using, like, you know. <laughs> a bit uh, complicated. No, no, no. <laughs> but it's like, where have you picked up? Where have you uh, learned? Right. Where have you learned business? Mm. Other than selling virtual FIFA cards? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd probably... Just being around people that speak like that and do business. Uh-huh. My my break was I invested three thousand dollars, like two thousand four hundred pounds, into a course from a mentor who 
who was all about creating Facebook ad agencies. So you could call him a guru, but uh, it worked for me. Uh, he just shared his knowledge and said, this is how you do it. Um, he had a community and met people through that and walked you through it all. So I think it's it was about investing in it and like investing money to learn from people that have already done it and then investing time, like listening to podcasts. There's a good one, My First Million. Mm, yeah, I've listened to a few episodes of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one called Mixergy, which is also good. And one by a guy called Nathan Latka. That's also pretty good. Cool. And just listen to other people. I mean, you're not going to learn it just by sitting there. <laughs> you have to be around those who are talking about it and know it. I mean, we're, we usually do this sort of stuff at the end, but like if you could go back to the start of your business journey, what would you do differently? If that makes mm -hmm. sense, based on what you know now and for someone listening, like I know there's no such thing as a as a shortcut, but there is a fast track, you mm -hmm. know? So if, for example, you invest in that money in the, the Facebook ad program, that was a bit of a fast track. Like are there other fast tracks that you could identify for people who are either looking to start their business this year or grow it? Yeah, so get a good environment. Uh -huh. So your working space and the people who are in that working space. It could be just sitting by yourself in your room, and that's fine. Or it could be going to a co-working space and having people around you that are lifting you up and making you feel like you're on the right path. I think a big trap for a lot of people is they take advice to heart from people that are close to them, like friends or family but who haven't done what they're trying to do, who would push them more towards the safer option. Mm. And they've stopped before they get started. You need to reach out to people that you see on podcasts or doing well for themselves to say, I'm just getting started. Can you help me? I, that's how I got started on the first podcast. I got onto I just sent these guys a loom, uh, which is a little kind of 10-second video of yourself in... I think it was outside in a garden and said like what do i need to do what well, who do i need to be to get onto the podcast because they had a lot of big kind of big people from big businesses pitching on it and just said just come on and i didn't expect that <laughs> i thought it would it would be more difficult yeah because i hadn't done it before so having people around you that have done what you want to do or something similar or achieved something in their life then it's it's actually really helpful um also, just don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money on yourself. Uh, the first thing to invest in should be yourself. Mm. So if you have £100, instead of buying a new jacket or buying stocks in a company, you want to invest in yourself because then you can increase your income and increase your knowledge. And if I could go back, I'd probably do that a little bit more mm. uh, at the start, maybe even earlier in my life. What other investments have you made in yourself other than the the ad program that so, have that have paid yeah. off massively? Oh, okay, well, a few more after that one. So <laughs> I found I get to the end of usefulness for that program, and then I was more of a recruiting agency after that. So I got someone who was doing it in recruitment, and then I wanted to use the money I was making to build wealth, uh, invest, and then I found someone that knew about that. So it's really about taking those kind of relationships to the point where it 
it's a natural conclusion and mm-hmm. then getting someone to help you in the next step what you want to do with your life um so that'll be the main thing you have a very collaborative mindset and not a lot of people have that like this is how i knew like literally the last two minutes that you just said made me think no this guy's actually a proper entrepreneur okay like there's a book that we're all reading at the minute called who not how and the idea is like instead of asking yourself the question how am i going to do this you ask who can help me and that doesn't mm. come naturally to a lot of people but it seems like it comes quite naturally yeah. to you i think that's how wealthy people tend to stay wealthy and their kids are wealthy that's that's why people pay so much money to go to eden mm. and really want to get into oxford it's the people that you know and who are around you that really help mm-hmm. and i didn't start off with knowing really anyone that ran their own business mm-hmm. so it's it was a bit uphill at the start and you just have to not really care what people think about you and not really care about getting ignored yeah which here i think is difficult yeah people care about what others are saying about them so you have to throw a lot of your like preconceived notions and experiences to the wind and mm-hmm. say me actualizing like achieving my potential is more important than feeling sad for a little minute but yeah. getting rejected yeah yeah there's like an openness to you that's interesting like i meet a lot of people and you're probably in the top 90 percentile of openness like you, okay. you you seem to carry things quite lightly and you seem to um just be really open to new ideas and new people and oh yeah i'll just send that message that won't bother me and if, if i get rejected that's okay like that's that's quite unique tell us about the time you offered a stranger a taxi ride oh that was another one i was going to mention so going to conferences is is a big one well they cost a lot because you have usually have to travel there and get a hotel and pay for the ticket but there you'll just meet everyone (laughs) so i went to one this year in las vegas for healthcare staffing and everyone at that conference was an executive and a staffing company in the u.s doing at least 10 million dollars a year and then there was the vendors trying to sell to them all and i'm not really in that category because i do something a little bit different but it was about being around them and getting that energy and understanding what makes them who they are and as someone who isn't really well known in that space it was it's not as easy as if I'm an executive in a big company or people would come up to me and want to speak to me. You know, I had to go up to people and mm. like approach them and say, hi, I'm Adam, like, and start talking to them. So uh, after doing that about 10 times, it was warmed up, just like approaching people, having their food and saying hello, button into the conversation. And I was a little bit confident. So at the end of the conference, no joke on the, t- the taxi was like 20 minutes to get to the airport and it cost me 60 dollars <laughs> so i'm a wee bit cheap as well <laughs> so i was like i'm like there's four seats in this taxi i'll just ask other people to get in because <laughs> this is a ripoff and i just shouted like there's a big crowd of people like does anybody want to get jump in this taxi for free with me and like two guys got in and i turned to one of the guys said, like, who do you work with and he's like i'm the ceo of da 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 which is doing a like, billion dollars revenue a year and like that's the sort of person that in those conferences you don't see him because he's doing kind of backroom meetings the whole time and like doing deals so just getting in i had a good kind of 20 minute conversation <laughs> and got his business card and kept in touch so that moment of just saying 
everyone, here's what I'm going to give you. Like, get in. Uh, paid off big time. Yeah. And the 10 moments before that that failed led up to that moment and made it possible. So I was happy I did it. Do you believe in serendipity or luck or anything like that? I think I used to, but then I, I realized every time I thought I was lucky, it had some sort of relation to where I put myself or someone else coming in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true that you make your own luck. Mm-hmm. There's definitely people that I would say are lucky and events that have happened in my life that are lucky but they happened for a reason that came from my actions or actions of a higher power yeah 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 i think it's really interesting we had someone on the show a few years ago and they said that uh they love that quote the harder i work the luckier i seem to get Mm. and they talked about how like by hard work and effort and putting yourself in the right place you increase the surface area for serendipity to happen i was like i love that (laughs) So, like, let's use the conference as an example. You spend the money to go to Las Vegas. You take the risk. You take all the risk and the risk of approaching people. You've got social risk. You've got financial risk. You've got time risk. You've got so much risk there. But if you weren't in that situation, it wouldn't wouldn't have opened you up to that seemingly yeah. lucky circumstance. So, yeah, I think I, I think I agree with That's you. That's an eloquent way of putting it. I like that. <laughs> I agree with that completely. How do you maintain a sense of rhythm... And you mentioned earlier about the importance of environment, the importance of surrounding yourself by good people. How do you keep that up whenever you are traveling all around the world and living in different places and going here, going there? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's exciting to meet new people, but is there a way that you're able to kind of maintain a sense of long-term relationship with people? Yeah, so there's two things, really. The first one is having a base or bases that you would go back to. So I'm not on the road every day or every week or even every month. There's places, for example, Guadalajara in Mexico that I would spend a lot more time in than elsewhere. Mm. Or uh, don't spend a lot of time here, but here's also a base because I know lots of people here. Mm-hmm. So you you should lay down like small roots, maybe have a little kind of bonsai mini bonsai tree <laughs> before you make your big bonsai tree that aren't um aren't easy to tear up and whenever you go back somewhere it does feel like a second home mm. um the second one is online i mean i've got connections across america and asia that i haven't really met in person mm-hmm. but i've grown quite close to and i can speak to them at any time when they're awake through the phone so you can kind of make a virtual network of people in a virtual community and engage with it without needing to actually meet these people in person. Mm-hmm. So that will follow you across the world or that'll stay with you whenever, whenever you move home. So it's, it's useful as well. When you come back to Northern Ireland, what does it feel like? And what do you do? Oh, it feels great. <laughs> I actually love it here. I would visit my family. I would watch football with my granda and go and visit my granny and just get connected again with my roots. Mm. I I love walking through through the streets or in the countryside and 
kind of soaking it in because if you're living in a sunny country uh, here is it really does feel different it's not just the people but the weather and the kind of the moisture in the air really gets into your bones in a way that is different from say in america or mexico so i love to spend time outside and, and seeing people mm -hmm. and if it's the summer i go on big long bike rides um i think here's a great place to live a lot of people run it down yeah i think on a lot of other episodes you say you have to leave to come back mm -hmm. I think that's true for me but whilst there are there may be downsides overall compared to most countries this is a great place to be so whenever i'm here i just go outside and, and be in it it's class tell us about your great 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 grandfather i think it's three greats <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i study history at university and for some reason that i'm not quite sure i've always been fascinated by the past mm -hmm. and recently this year i got into investigating my own family history which i've never really done before and i think it's such a intriguing way to think of yourself as the latest in a long line of people because we all live in different times i mean my parents lived during the troubles my granda was evacuated during the war his dad was one of the people one of the people that were kind of chased out of uh monaghan cabin whenever partition occurred and they all kind of look like you. They've <laughs> experienced different times. And I feel like that kind of link uh, and connection with the past and family is a way to explore that. So I did a bit of research and I got back to my great, great, great grandfather, James Chambers. He was born in 1795 and he died in about 17, no, 1870, say. So he lived through the famine he had a lifetime of experiences that I'd really want to find out about. So that's kind of my mission for the next few years to get into the archives and investigate where did my family come from? You know, did they come from Scotland? Did they come from England? We're pretty sure it's one of the two. What was their story? How did they come to be here? And what kind of lessons can I learn from that today? Mm. We were talking last night, we were out on a, a big walk. If you were born, say, a thousand years ago, nah, it's too much. If you were born 300 years ago, what do you think you would be doing? Uh, I would definitely be a laborer on a farm that wanted to get away <laughs> and like, be a merchant. Because you look, I think everyone, well, not everyone, most people will get this if you investigate your family history that you have your parents who are maybe working in services or a uh, factory or and then their parents are probably a bit more industrial and then once you get before 1900 it's like laborer 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 mm. that was like about 90 percent of people were farm workers or something similar so i think that's where i would have been but i would have had ambitions perhaps to get out and uh, explore a little bit more where do you think that type of ambition comes from? Um, 
that's a tough one because I haven't really, I haven't really thought about it before. I think every young man has that desire to get a big like. For example, if you go in the forest, do you pick up a stick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, pick up a stick and just like stride forward like Gandalf into the world. <laughs> like, if some people got so your wild oats, but I don't really see it. It's like I was. I want to make my mark in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone does, but we limit ourselves. So I think it's innate in me to to do something, like leave a presence. Yeah. Um, Is that why you want to build a castle? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'll come on to that, but here, like this, people from this island, you have people that, or native Irish and native people that are Ulster Scots and both have a history of migration and moving across the world. Like a dazzling number of presidents in the US were of Ulster Scots ancestry. And then there's Irish ones as well. And look like being in that that culture and that history and then learning what people that are maybe indirectly related to me. For example, my my granny always says we're related to Neil Armstrong because her maiden name is Armstrong and there's Armstrongs in Fermanagh that are supposedly connected to, to the astronaut. And <laughs> just to be kind of the, call it, the inheritor of a legacy, something that resonates with me. So whenever it comes to the castle, I want to leave a, like a presence that, that last and if you build a normal house i mean you could say this about a life yeah you don't want it to be knocked down you don't want your mark in the world to be knocked down in 50 or 100 years yeah, i'd love to make something that people would visit uh, in 200 or 300 years and say wow like that was an imprint of the time yeah i i grew up near mount stewart and the arts peninsula which is a country home of the the Londonderry family who ruled kind of most of that part of County Down in the 17, 1800s. And like, that's a majestic place, mm. magnificent, the architecture. And I think if you're going to do it, if you're going to make something that like, you should leave something that imprints a bit of beauty on the world and raises the level of goodness that's in the society. Big time. How old are you? Uh, 26. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable for a 26-year-old to think like that. Mm. What is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Let's say you get another 74 years. Yeah. What do you want to do with it? So... Well, my life plan up to now has been to have a successful business that changes the fortunes of hundreds of thousands of people and creates something of value that people can coalesce around and that has a financial value attached to it uh, in order to generate enough money to start a, a charitable foundation that invests in local communities here there's a concept going back to the romans of civic duty 
rich Romans, whilst they would stash some of their money away, they would want to invest it in buildings and build up their town and be proud of it. And like that's something that I kind of get on board with when you see where you grew up declining a little bit, like shops closing, charity shops filling up the rest of the, the vacancies. Uh, I'd love to create wealth and then funnel that back into the, the society here and the world that I live in mm. um, for everyone's benefit and then to to leave a mark for the future. So at the moment, I'm really focusing on work and growing my businesses, but in in the future, I would like to invest uh, in the in the community, uh, get into politics also, and do a little bit more history. So we can expect to see Adam Chambers make a return return to the homeland in some sort of some <laughs> yeah, sort of way. Uh, yeah, I'll come come back in the next few years. Wow. So that's my plan. We'll see. Uh, every, you probably make plans every couple of years, and then sure. something different happens. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the important thing is actually making a plan, so that if that something different happens, it's going to be better than it would have been if you hadn't planned mm. towards something similar. Yes, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time. I love that quote. Yeah, if you aim for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Boom, hundred percent. What's been the most challenging moment of the journey so far? I remember at the outset, get you get to a point where you've been trying something for a period of time and then you're not making progress and you look back and you don't see a lot of progress and you look forward and you think, will the future be like the past? If so, I'm screwed. <laughs> so I got to that point about a year in where... I just had a couple of clients and then they left and I got pretty emotional because I I still had that confidence that I can achieve something with my life, but I thought I was misdirecting it. I thought I was mistaken. So I just remember the moment I was in a, a co-working space in Mexico and I just <laughs> had to use a, like, a charger adapter for my laptop. And I just like taken that out of the plug and I like electrocuted myself by accident because <laughs> uh, it's just a rubbish one. And I thought, oh no, what am I doing? Um, but like a week later, that was when I got on that podcast. So Whoa. looking back, that like lowest point was just like a, a, little, a little dip compared to the opportunity that came after. Yeah. So I think the learning from that is you know, often the hardest times are just kind of like the prelude or the build-up to a great time. Mm -hmm. And you just have to really make changes whenever you're at that low point that will take you higher and like don't throw everything out. Mm -hmm. Use what you've done before, each little step to, to guide you. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the low point is what forces you or springs you into the action that you need to take to move to a new level or do you think it's almost more of like a supernatural spiritual test to prepare you for what's ahead 
if that makes any mm. sense. <laughs> um, it can be both. I, I'm a Christian. I do believe that God's hand moves in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when it comes to to work, I don't really say that God made this happen, but I know that He's kind of guiding me overall. But never you're low, you do have to use it as a springboard and say, it's not going to get any worse from here, probably. (laughs) My low point wasn't that bad, really, in the grand scheme of life. I didn't lose anything, really, and I still had food and shelter. So use it and recognize that I'm low, but that's fine, and I I can go higher, and you will go higher. I think your story is also full of little funny moments as well where it's the highs and lows of every entrepreneurial journey like it is it's a it's a roller coaster ride i love that bit where you were doing the sales call to the big hospital in mm. in toronto and what happened yeah <laughs> yeah this was when I was just starting out. I only had a couple of clients, so I was a little bit green. And I didn't have my beard then, so I looked about 16. <laughs> and I had maybe had this imposter syndrome, which is when you think you're not good enough. Of Will they actually believe me? And I was doing the Zoom call in my bedroom. It was during COVID, so I was back home in my parents' house. And my mom, who I love the bits, was she always did my laundry, and she still does when I'm home, <laughs> which is great. Appreciate of that. Shout out, mum. Thanks, yeah, mum. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I was doing the sales calls, just getting okay. So the price is, and that's the most serious point, like when you need to kind of lean in and make yourself big and get them to get them to buy into you, because really they have to know you, they have to like you, and they have to trust you to buy from you. So I was like, this is, this is serious. And then my mum bursts in in her dressing gown with. <laughs> my laundry it's like adam here's your clothes oh no then, she said it. yeah no. she said it. and i was like <laughs> there's a there's a funny video of like, this guy doing an interview on the bbc you might have seen it and yeah, like yeah. his kids were running 100%. that was my moment and um she just kind of ran out and the learning from that was like it's fine like the person who i was selling to didn't really care yeah. <laughs> that was just one of those moments that kind of explodes the belief that i had that things like that matter Mm. what does matter um i go back to confidence matters really Um, i think whoever's listening i think of your heroes or who you look up to and would they be your hero if they didn't have the confidence to do whatever actions led them to become your hero Mm. everyone from the meekest to the bravest has had to show confidence um people typically say i don't know say the dalai lama for example is a kind of like a peaceful guy but he's he's behaving and like going out in the world against the power of the chinese government and like he must have immense confidence Mm. So it's something that we don't really get drilled into us here, especially if you're not kind of 
going to a private school or you're not around people have supreme confidence but i think it's so important for for achieving things in life what's the most amount of confidence you've ever had to spend on something um That's a good one. <laughs> what about you? Well, I think. I could tell you a recent one. So like a recent one is I just have invested like a substantial amount of money in an entrepreneurial program this year. Um, and I just booked my flights yesterday. Uh, it's, it's in LA. So that in itself is an expense and totally new environment, totally new thing. And that's kind of my like going to LA for a conference moment if I reflect my story into your story mm. and that took an insane amount of confidence because I think I've grown up with that and with an Irish frugal mindset where it's really hard to spend money yeah. and it's hard to invest and you, all you see is cost and so that's that's the first thing that came into my head is actually just um, having the confidence to invest in yourself in, in, a, in a significant way and in a way on a level I've never done before mm. That's scary, but yeah. it's also exciting. I'm hoping I yeah. also share a taxi with a billion-dollar CEO. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, there's been some moments in my life, I, in business particularly, yeah, forking out 10 grand to go to a conference uh, is a leap of faith. Um, deciding to start in the first place and then at the low points, not giving up. Mm. Um saying okay well i'll just keep going that does take a lot yeah and then following on from that probably investing the money that i made from the business back into the business or in other things because same as you it it does take a lot so whenever you get money like the i think the typical thing we have here is how can I keep this and mm. not lose it? Yeah. Putting it under the bed, especially. <laughs> Whereas in America, where I get a lot of kind of inspiration from, it's how can I turn this into five or ten times more? Mm -hmm. So trying to get on that and actually be intelligent about investing money has been something that requires confidence. But once once you learn about it, yeah, it takes less because you understand it more. Yeah. Two more questions. These are questions that we always kind of land the plane with. What's the most successful moment so far? Like where you've just felt like need to punch mm. the sky? Yeah. So I've been doing this five years and I don't think I've gotten very far. I think I've done well from where I started, but I'm not here saying that I'm Richard Branson or I'm a billionaire. Um, Yet. Yeah. <laughs> I think retaining that humility is really important. And a lot of my, what I'm saying is based on what I know now. And I'm hopeful in like 10 or 15 years, I'll, I'll know more and, and be better. The, the first seal, really, the first validation of time, effort, and confidence is for me the biggest moment. Just it's simple as like opening an email. It was that lovely COVID 
Well, not lovely. Was, uh, yeah. We had lovely weather during the first COVID lockdown. Oh, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, so it was lovely, like, April or May. It was May, I think. And then I just saw one of the, my first hospital clients said, we actually do want to work together. I'd spoken to them before COVID. They didn't, and then things changed. And that was just a validation of the previous year or year and a half, and I knew this is it and it's been worth it the time i put in mm. so think of it like a bottle of champagne like that year and a half of filling up the bottle as a drink and then actually getting it validated by someone who's popping the cork <sighs> and starting that is an insane metaphor have you used uh, that before no it's just, <laughs> it's just me make that is unbelievable don't work but sometimes one works okay we have a incoming producer question roska hit us uh yeah just a quick question uh if you could take anyone dead or alive for a cup of coffee who would you take hitting you with the big guns yeah <laughs> so i was caught in two minds about this so i think i've mentioned my great 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 grandfather and i want to ask him what was your life about how did you get here um the other one and i didn't whenever i was preparing for this i didn't think I would do it because I knew he wouldn't really be interested in speaking to me. <laughs> Lord Castlereagh, uh, Robert Stewart. He was uh, one of the, the Stewart, Stewarts of Mount Stewart, uh, 18th century landowner who negotiated the, the peace following the Napoleonic Wars. Probably the most influential foreign secretary that's ever been in, in the UK. Uh, Great Britain, British Empire at the time. And he's from like 10 minutes down the road from me. <laughs> Uh, this was a guy who was a witness to history, created history himself, and was pretty much reviled universally by uh, both Protestants and Catholics in Ireland. He negotiated the, well, he was part of the kind of the Act of Union, losing Ireland a lot of its kind of political independence. And I've been reading his biography at the moment, and he seems like a very vibrant mind. Uh, reading his letters on the French Revolution, but also one that had a lot of kind of values uh, when it come to his, came to his politics. Um, even though he received a lot of criticism for his actions and he actually ended up committing suicide, he was a person that became influential and saw his potential through. And I would want to ask him how you did that. Mm. Unbelievable. Uh, I think here there's sort of a, a forgetfulness about heroes from the past or maybe in Robert Sturr's case, anti-heroes mm -hmm. that in our society today we don't look to and we don't try and learn from. So encourage anyone to read about him or, or some of the other people from here. Something I think about a lot is that at least for our generation, there is no Northern Irish history before the Troubles. Mm. It's kind of like the, in history class, if that makes sense, in school, it's like history, the history of Northern Ireland starts with Northern Ireland starting, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there's no thought about anything beyond kind of the conflict narrative. And I think we miss out on a lot because of that. Yeah, I think <coughs> the way the... The education system is divided Protestant Catholic. A lot of schools do want to keep it on message. I mean, my school 
we did the Ulster Plantation and the Williamite Wars for history A level. And then my friend did in another school, did like Irish independence and civil war. Whereas before like partition, before the troubles, like things were a lot more interlinked. Like Castle Ray, Lord Robert Stuart, um, he considered himself Irish, but he was a Presbyterian <laughs> who also served in the British government. Um <laughs> Because politics from one com- country is religion from another, but he was born in a third country. And uh, that doesn't really inter like doesn't really mesh with our current narrative of Protestant and Catholic, and I think that's that's a real shame. Mm. Uh it's became like that today. Yeah. Roscoe, you may as well do the closing question as well. Loud your red hot on the mic. What was the closing question again? <laughs> <laughs> um go for a 19 year old ah okay so uh if you could go back in time and see a 19 year old version of yourself what would you say i'd say one thing i'd say start investing in the stock market <laughs> that was seven years ago it wasn't very long ago but <laughs> The earlier that you can start investing, even if it's like £10 a month, the longer that your time, the younger your money has time to compound. Albert Einstein called compound interest like the seventh wonder of the world. Yeah, the seventh. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Or the eighth. No, I'm doubting myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's something crazy. Like if you invest £1,000 a year, like for the rest of your life from now, like you end up being a millionaire by the time you're like retiring. Uh, something like that. It's it's crazy the way money can rise over time. Mm. And when I was nineteen, I was pretty similar to how well probably changed a little bit, but it wasn't very long ago. So I think that's the main thing what I would do that can set you up for for different things because like having that kind of financial cushion is so is so useful in life. Mm. This is a question we never ask. I'm going to ask it anyway. You mentioned that this podcast will be like a mark in time for you. If you could give some advice to a version of yourself in seven years time. Yeah. So what will you be? 33? Yeah. So if you happen to, you know, stumble across this episode when you're 33, you, I believe, will be you know, exponentially wealthier than you are now. Your business will be exponentially bigger. Your impact will be exponentially bigger. What part of your current self would you like to make sure that your 33-year-old self holds on to mm. in the midst of that? Yeah, definitely my faith. I think the other stuff will come. and I, That goes back to the confidence thing. But I, I need to continue going to church, praying, reading the Bible, and letting that feed into my life. I think if I can do that, then I'll be fine. And that's something that in the past I really haven't been as astute about, but I need and I will, um, by the time I'm 33, be someone that shares kind of fellowship more, is more generous to others, and renews my mind really through... Uh, through faith and through Jesus. So mm. that's something that I'm going to be working on as I grow older. Yeah. Adam, this has been 
a real delight, genuinely. And uh, we talk about compound interest. Sometimes you do an interview with somebody and you're like, I think this is going to be one that will have a compound interest effect, you know, whenever you're 30, you're 40, you're 50. Uh, I do think you're on a very interesting path. And I'm delighted as a as a host to have had the chance to interview you at the start of your journey. Yeah. And it'll be fun to reflect in the years to come on how that journey progresses. So thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm glad to be part of your journey as well. Amazing stuff. Just want to give one final thanks to NI Connections for making today's episode possible. You can sign up for their free email newsletter at niconnections.com where you'll get straight to your inbox interesting stories from people who are from this place but are living and working overseas. You'll also get some really interesting insider information about best practices of how to move back home or how to start a business here and all this other really, really interesting stuff. niconnections.com is the place to do that and we're so so grateful that we're able to keep this series going thanks to ni connection support have a great rest of your day and thank you so much for checking out the podcast cheers